0: Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we are going to be finishing up Parash's Matos with Matos Chevi This is the last Aliyah and it is about the condition of Benegad and Bene Ruven. As you remember from last Aliyah, they made a request from Moshe to have this deal where they would settle in the Transjordan East Bank lands and agree to send their troops ahead in the meantime to help conquer Israel to, and then keep their land on the East Bank, which was good for their sheep. Our Aliyah is 23 psukim long and it runs from Perik Lamebe's Chof. To bases: Basic summary and then a few points to ponder. So we're told that Moshe Benu makes a condition with them. And by the way, there's a lot of halachic parameters which are learnt out of this of what's what's called a t'nai koful, a doubled t- um, condition, and you have to have the t'nai is koedim so that the condition comes before the action, which triggers it, and has to be positive before negative. A lot of halachas are learnt out of the way that Moshe Benin structures his words. The Gemara discusses that at great length, but nonetheless, just this is what Moshe Benin says: If you agree to come to uh, 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 as an army to battle in Israel with your brothers, then uh, until the end of the conquest, then you can return to your land. And you'll be nakiyim. You'll be cleansed of your your uh, your oath in front of Hashem, and you can inherit the land which you stand in now. But if you don't do as agreed, you will have sinned. Okay, so Moshe Rabbeinah makes it very clear. And um, they then he, he suggests to them that they build their cities for their children and corrals for their their, their flocks, and they should keep their words. Um, notice that Moshe Rabbeinu switched the order that family comes before assets, which is not the way they said it. The Bedegal and Berakha Ruvan repeat the condition exactly as Moshe says it, and they agree to it. Moshe then summons them in front of Elazar, Yesshua, and the leaders and makes it makes the condition publicly and they acknowledge it publicly. It's important because Moshe man, knows he's not going to be there to see this come to fruition. so he needs to have it on the record that when they finally do come into the land of Israel, this will be kept. This is going to be another 14 years from now, seven years of conquest. And seven years of division of the land. We then hear um, about a description of all the cities that Moshe Rabbeinu gives them. He gives them the lands of Sichon and Og, which they conquered at the end of Pasha's Chukas, Bnei Ruven, Bnei Gad, and also half of the Shevet of Menashe, which is new. We then hear a, a, a description of all the cities they decide to build up, and we hear about some new conquests which made. The children of Machir go and make further conquests in the area of Gilad on the east bank of the Jordan. And then we hear about Yair, who conquers an area where he, which he calls Chavos Yair, and then an area called by, conquered by Novach, and a city called Canas, and he calls it Novach. The city is called Novach after his own name, and that is the end of the parasha. So a few basic questions understand over here. The most pressing question on this Aliyah is what does Menashe have to do here? Menashe never made any request to be on the east bank of the Jordan. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu inserting them into the east bank of the Jordan? And it's not just Menashe, it's half the tribe of Menashe. What is going on here? I once heard from Rav El Bin Nun who said the following... He says that Yosef was the tribe or the individual who really eretz He really loved the land of Israel. We see this in many ways. The B- Yosef commanded that his bones be taken up to Israel. He was the one who whose the children of Ephraim broke out of Egypt early to try to fight again to, to Israel. The Benost slavkhad. In fact, slavkhad, according to one opinion, it was one of the ma'apilim who tried to get access to Israel even after they were barred access. That he really loved the land of Israel. Well, what Moshe Ben realized was something very obvious he that if you put these two tribes in the transjordan, it's all very nice, they're going to send postcards, we'll do join joint cultural affairs together, but slowly but but surely the divide is going to deepen, and they are going to become they're going to secede from the union, they're going to be their own state. we need to have an everlasting connection between the east and the West Bank. So what did he do? He took the tribe which most appreciated the land of Israel coming from Manasseh the firstborn of Yosef, and he splits them in two to really be the cohesion between the East and the West Bank. So because they're only half a tribe, so families would be visiting each other and cousins and uncles and would always be, and there would be constant traffic between East and West, and that would be able to maintain the connection. Rav Moshe Sternbach in his Sefer Time Vidas on the Torah points out that this may even be a tikkun, a correction of the of of Mechiras Yosef. Yosef, although he may have been correct in the way he dealt with his brothers and the way he reported their actions to his father, it was well meant, but in the end of the day, it, caught, it caused a, a tear in the family of Yaakov. The brothers hated him and, he, and they sold him down the river, and it turned into a terrible, terrible discord and the ripping up of the the children of, of Israel. And that being the case, this is a certain, a certain sense of tick on here. Yosef is ripping himself apart into two. But in order to create the cohesion between East and West, this is what Akhoshbaruch wants of them. Is in order to create their cohesion between both sides. Finally, one fascinating observation over here is this: this individual by the name of Novach. If you've never heard of Novach, that is well founded because Rashi points out this is the only time in Tanakh is found. In fact, if you look at the, the way it's it's um, it's uh, though it should be Vayikra Lo. He called it the city should have a mappikque indicating possession it's missing the mapik, so that means to say it's almost as if his possession of the city was not long lasting, and that's true. Novak is never mentioned again in in Tanakh as well. R- Rashi quotes R- Moshe Darshan, who says that he, the city never was long lasting in his name. He never really he never was able to maintain this conquest for a long time, and in fact, there was even a uh, very strange cantillation on the law. I'm um, under the word law to indicate that something strange is going on over here. Why is this? Why is this so relevant to us? I came across a fascinating observation of Rav Shimon Schwab um, in his commentary on the Torah where he points out the following. Look, here you have two individuals. You have Yair and Novak. They both make conquests. And Yair's conquest we hear numerous times. You hear about it in other, many other seferi Tanakh about the area called Chavos Yair. Chavos Yair was named after him, but Novak never appears again. What was the difference between the two? So Rav Schwab says an incredible in, uh, insight. He points out that when Novak conquered the city, he identified with his asset to the degree that it became him. He calls it Novak in his own name. Yair was not like that. Yair conquered the areas, and he was successful like Novak was, but he called it Chavos Yair, the villages, surrounding areas of Yair. There's my possessions, and they belong to Yair, but Yair, without possessions, is still Yair. Novak without the city, Novak was not Novak. He became that, you know, beautiful plaque on the front of the city which said Novak. That was who he was. When you become, when your identity becomes wrapped and entrenched, with a item, with an asset, when I expand my personality to something, something, and that becomes who I am, then it's very easy to lose that something and to lose your personality. you never lost his personality. He had chavosayir, I have my possessions, but I'm me. So these possessions don't define me, and other people's opinions about my possessions and my assets and my subscribers and my and my net worth, those do not define me. Those are attributes which belong to me. So that is perhaps the greatest way to create longevity is to be independent of one's assets, to be independent of one's achievements and be a person in oneself. That's what's being just, uh, described to us just in the missing dot, the mapikhe at the end of the parasha of law Lah Nava With this we close in the meantime have a wonderful and meaningful day.